Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we are going to address a wide variety of topics of interest to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, founding partner of The Bridge Club, the first video-based community created to enable industry professionals to connect, engage, learn, and grow in just 25 minutes. Since our launch in February 2018, more than 1,400 veterinary professionals have participated in 43 of our live and virtual events. They're great conversations, and I'm really happy to partner with Royal Canin to share the knowledge and maybe a few useful tips that you can use in your practice. So let's get started. Today's guests are Dr. Andy Work and Dr. Megan Hill. Thank you for being here with us today. Let's dig right in here. So why do you think so many pets are overweight today? Dr. Work, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I, think it's, I think it's super easy. I think for a lot of us, food is love. And our pets are obviously big fans of, of food and of table scraps. And it's the easiest way to make your pet just celebrate you. And, and I, think, I think we know that our pets love us. And I think it's important for us at an emotional level to feel like we want our pets to know that we love them. And we know that they prize treats. And we know that by giving them the treats, they, they seem to feel this love. And so I think that that's why we go for the treat bag. It, it makes them happy, and they make us happy. And so we just want to hit that happiness for our pet button again and again and again. And so I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think when you when you think about how we establish the relationship, even from puppyhood on with our pets, we establish that relationship based on treats, trainings built around, or trainings built around treats. Everything that we do for them is rewarded with a treat. And so we've conditioned our dogs over time to associate our attention with food, trained our owners to love their pets by feeding their pets. Um, owners also have a lack of understanding around the cal- caloric consequences of what it is that they use for treats. The amount of, you know, a piece of bacon for you or me might not be a ton of calories, but for a small dog, that's a significant calorie load. Most definitely. So, so picture this, you are walking into the exam room and you immediately notice the pet owner has a little bit of extra weight. Then you look to the pet. You notice the pet has a lot of extra weight. How do you initiate that conversation? Where do you begin? It's always a tough conversation, and I think the concern always lies around offending somebody. Trying to find ways to make the conversation objective rather than a subjective conversation is usually a great place to go. So using tools like body condition scoring charts or something along those lines to help really dictate why it is that you're considering that pet overweight rather than making it a personal attack I think is important. I think, that, I think the most important place uh, to start is, is you need to zoom out. And so I, I look at the entire appointment holistically. And so I, I think that we get ourselves in a lot of trouble, honestly, by, um, by saying, oh, my gosh, that pet is overweight. How am I going to say this to this owner? And really zeroing in, because I think as a profession, we are problem-focused people, right? We've been trained to recognize problems, find problems, diagnose problems, fix problems. Like, we think about problems all the time. And so we go, and we go straight into the problem. The real truth of the situation is, the way that we have this conversation, the way that we set it up and when we have it are honestly far more important than what we actually say to this person, in my opinion. So what I mean by that is when we walk in and you immediately see that this is an obese pet here, like that's the first thing in your mind that needs to be the last thing that we talk about. And the reason I say that is because what we do as veterinarians is all about trust and trust building and making people feel comfortable and safe. And we've, we need to create that space. Then we can have that conversation. We can be effective. So the first thing you do is you look. You say, that pet is obese. Do not say that, right? Go through your whole physical examination. Do uh, your sort of rapport building with the person. Talk to them as an individual. Um, you know, just 
Start building trust, building rapport, talk to them like a real person, and then go through your physical exam. And the big thing that I, that I tell veterinarians and I, I try to teach and I try to practice in my own practice is go, go with what's good first and talk about all the wonderful things about that pet and talk about that pet's personality and talk about how wonderful their hair coat looks and, and do their, uh, you know, feel their joints, talk about their mobility, talk about, um, talk about their wonderful dental health and their shiny teeth and their bright eyes and their clean ears, talk about the relationship that the pet owner has with the pet and how great all that stuff is and you do everything and you come to the end and say, she's wonderful. There's one thing that we need to talk about and you probably know what I'm gonna say here, but let's, let's unpack this, right? And so now I've set the table to hopefully be in a great place to have this conversation. I feel like if there's no rapport and I haven't met that trust and that person doesn't think that I'm celebrating the good things that they did, I think it's going to be, it doesn't matter how smooth you are, I think it's going to be very hard to have that conversation and get into a lot of, a lot of hot water. Well, and clearly that conversation doesn't rest only with a veterinarian, right? The entire healthcare team needs to be in tune with that kind of philosophy as well. So how do you go about helping them to understand that perspective as well? I, I think you're right. A team-based approach within the hospital setting is incredibly important to have. And I think some of the most important things to think about is not what's your, as a veterinarian, what is just your perspective going forward and managing patients that are overweight, but what is the approach from the entire hospital? So what's the message going to be from you as well as your staff members, the front desk, making sure that everyone's on the same page and creating plans rather than just diagnosing a pet as being overweight, maybe starting them on a weight loss plan, have a plan in place so that they know what to expect. So the same can be held true if you're talking uh, to someone, for example, who has had a cancer diagnosis for the pet or any other difficult conversation, Right. Those are the kinds of things that you work with your staff to, to talk with them about being sensitive to the attitude of the pet owner? Oh, of course. Absolutely. So, I, I'm a, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of leveraging your technical staff, your technicians, even your front, your front desk as well. But in this specific scenario, let's talk about the technicians. You know, the, the, I think the biggest challenge for veterinarians talking about nutrition and talking about obesity, and we always say this, is we've only got a limited amount of time in the exam room. And so if you're the one as a veterinarian who comes in and leads this conversation, um, you, you, you're going to be pressed for time. You, and you know, you really have to be selective. What we've seen, uh, there's actually some research that Royal Canin did about, about two years ago in Canada that said when the veterinarian endorses a nutritional approach, they are much more effective than the, if they are the ones who are leading and driving that approach. And that just feeds back into the importance of the team. So obviously we, we, uh, we, we train our staff. And that's, that's something where I think a lot of our, our practices come we come up short. Again, it's the same thing we talk about time. The truth is you'll have more time if you invest into training your staff. What is our message? Are we speaking with one voice? Do we have uh, beliefs in nutritional recommendations, how we're going to approach obesity, what we're going to say to those clients? We should have those conversations, and our, our technicians should know what's expected, and most of them don't. They really, they're sent into the room to find out what the diet is and, uh, you know, and, and see if they want leptospirosis or not. And um, ask them if they're giving their heartworm preventive. And that's the guide. Like, that's, tr that's the whole training program for most vet hospitals. And, and we send them in, and then we wonder why this, why this doesn't run smoothly. I, I, think that, I think that getting them trained is a big part. I think that, and it allow me to geek out about the future and where we're going. And I'm, I'm super optimistic about where we're going. But I find it to be extremely helpful. Honestly, the best thing is, if you can write, ask the right open-ended questions so that the pet owner will tell you, I know this is a problem. Or I know that, that, 
that my, my pet is probably larger than she should be. And I think we're getting to the point now where we can have check-in protocols and, you know, picture an iPad application where you, you give it to the pet owner when they come in and say, how's your pet been doing? And they can key some stuff in. And then you have them select what the body condition score is. You have them say, oh, I'd put her as a seven. And the technician say, well, so you can indicate that she was a seven. And so let's go ahead and we'll, we'll have the doctor talk about that as well. But, or maybe it's not. Maybe, hey, we'll have our nutritional advocate step in. And we have a technician who has specialty training in nutritional advocacy. And I don't mean to geek out too much, but man, that makes the technician so happy because they want to they grow and they want to develop and they want to have unique special skills. Uh, and, and at this point, we're, we're at a cultural level of building a great practice that people enjoy. So let's go down that pathway just a little bit. It seems to me if you are putting that much energy into helping them understand how to connect with the client on these conversations, that you're going to help increase compliance too, right? So that your recommendations are better followed if they're better understood. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think the more that, that you can get your clients to understand on the front side, the less questions they're going to go home with on the back side. So being able to have that message repeated from yourself, from your team, have it well laid out so that they have plenty of opportunity to understand what that plan looks like. I think we need to play the bigger game. And the bigger game is not compliance. I mean, compliance is important and we already struggle there. But honestly, guys, we're talking about adherence here. We're talking about getting people onto the. It's not about sending them home with a with the appropriate therapeutic diet or the single bag of, of weight loss food. It's about getting them onto a program where they get bag after bag after bag after bag. We, you know, we, we get them to take one bag home and we pat ourselves on the back and go, that's great. And, and it was great. But really the true challenge is getting them to come back and continue and stay on that diet and push through until we've made a difference, it's amazing how many people will, will take the bag because we put it in our hands, and which is much better than a lot of other practices do. We get them to take the bag, but then they go right back to the grocery store brand or, or whatever else they were on before, and that's it. So I, I think we really need to be talking more about adherence, which is a program, a system, ongoing education, following up, and really trying to push that for the life of the pet. Well, that does lead to the question about follow-up then. And what are some really tried and true tactics that a practice can implement to help make sure that appropriate follow-up is timely and that the practice is actually communicating with the client after the fact. I think setting those ex expectations for follow-up are hugely important, and Andy is absolutely right on the getting one bag out the door is great, and it's a, a, a small win, but that, it, especially in the game of weight loss, one bag of food, one month's worth of food is not going to be enough time to see appropriate weight loss in many of these pets. So being able to explain to the owner that it didn't take one month for your dog to become the weight that they are, it's going to take that amount of time to also get that weight lost is really important. Um, having pro some type of protocol in place where you can set an expectation of we're going to see you every two to three weeks so that we can establish that rate of which your pet is losing weight and that we can check in and we can celebrate the success you're having along the way, I think is a, a great starting point to get that long-term success. So we want to circle back a little bit to a question, too. Or you started out, Andy, talking about treats and the importance of treats in the loving relationship, right? Psychologically, it feels like a really good thing to do. So when you are following up, I would assume that talking about you've got this great new diet you went home with as a weight loss diet, but the amount of calories in those little treats they might still be feeding. How do you address that in a proactive way so that it doesn't feel judgy? The way that I approach it, honestly, I look at uh, I look at what seems to work with me. Whenever I'm thinking about pets and how to train pets, I think about words, what works on myself, and go, "Aha, this is it." And so I, th I think about um, I think about when I start to diet. Here's what happens, right? I will start to exercise, or I will start to make some other commitment, 
And then once I'm making that commitment, the idea of undoing that commitment or undermining that commitment is, is hard for me. So for example, if I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym and then I go to the gym, suddenly the idea of cutting down on my caloric intake is much, it's much more appealing to me because I did this thing and I don't just want to undo it. I think that that approach works well with pet owners as well. If we can get them onto the right diet and they're investing and they're doing the thing, honestly, we may not be able to get them to change their entire set of feeding behaviors at once. We need to lay that groundwork. But we, it may be a process of getting them onto the right food, starting to see some gains, celebrating those gains. So we're positively reinforcing the experience of the owner and then talking to them more about let, let's, what else is going in around around the food. So that's on the back side. On the front side, uh, and everyone who's, been in the, in, everyone who's been in the exam room with a pet owner at some point in their career has seen this, where the pet owner is there and you say, well, what does your dog eat? And they, she'll say, I, we feed them uh, this dog food and we, and we feed them uh, occasionally some of these treats. And then you'll say, okay. And then later on in the appointment, they'll say, well, you know, and well, her, she loves the French fries. And you go, well, I, you didn't tell me that she gets the French fries. And then, you know what I mean? And you quickly come to understand this dog has a smorgasbord of food that she eats every, almost every day. And that may not come out at first, but again, asking the right questions. And one of them that I love is um, the nutritionist Jackie Parr taught me. She goes, tell me everything that goes into your pet's mouth. And I really like that question. It's open-ended. It builds trust. It's great for the technicians. They get a really robust response that they can bring to the doctor. Uh, again, just efficiency good communication. We've already got this conversation cracked open. We haven't even really gotten to the weight loss part yet, but I've done this right. I've gotten this engagement. I've got all these pieces of, of, of information. And, and the pet owner has told me them themselves. And you, it's amazing. If you ask the right question, you will see the realization of how much their pet eats on their faces. They're telling, it's like they're going, oh my gosh. I just didn't even realize how, you know, how much this was. And again, all of these things are very soft steps we're making towards where we need to be. Well, I have to admit, I'm a bad treat person. I, that, it, I, that is how I show my love. And I was shocked to find out how many calories are really in those little tiny treats that, that I feed to my golden retriever. And my husband reminds me on a pretty regular basis, actually. But how, how do you approach that conversation as well? Do they... When you've had that conversation, Andy, and you're talking with them about everything that goes into their mouth or the French fries, you know, Megan, I'm sure you have similar conversations. How do you point out in a very nice way that the amount of caloric density in something that looks so harmless? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. You know, pet foods aren't labeled with the same nutrition information that you or I can look at in the grocery store. It's much harder to find those caloric quantities for treats. So many owners don't don't really know or understand. Um, you know, there are some great tools that are out there that help give a correlation to donuts, what a common treat for dogs or cats would be. And so sometimes, like when you start, when you ask those great questions and you get the information from the owners and you watch their eyes go wide as they start to realize like, wow, I am really having an, a big impact on what my dog or cat is eating every day. But I think the biggest thing is you got to think about the psychology too around weight loss. If, if we were going to go on a diet, I mean, Typically, we think of like, oh, we're going to deprive ourselves. This is not going to be fun. Owners love their pets through food. And so we have to be able to give them some kind of option to healthily or in a productive manner treat their pets. Because if we try to tell them your dog's going to go on a diet, 
and you can't give them any treats. We're not really setting anybody up for success in that scenario. So finding appropriate low-calorie therapeutic weight loss treats that they can use in place of many of those other high-calorie snacks is really important. Let's step away for just a moment from the whole conversation about really obesity and treats and all that kind of thing and just back to the topic of the difficult conversations. The regular veterinary exam, there's so much you're trying to cram into a short period of time. And it's the shots and it's the preventive care and it's the, you know, the weight and everything else. How can a veterinary professional prepare her or himself to go into an exam room with the mindset that you may have to have some difficult conversations or the mindset to pull them into that engaged conversation, especially if you know it's going to be difficult? I think Andy mentioned this at the beginning, that relationship building, I think, is a really important step you know, taking the time, especially if it's a new client, maybe someone you're meeting for the first time, to just learn about them, their pets, what it is that they enjoy to do with their pets on a regular basis, if they have any goals for the overall health or well-being of their animals, and start from there rather than nitpicking them apart from the beginning. I think that really if you have that relationship and really take a team-based approach to the care of your patients, I think you have a lot better success. Well, I, I just completely second that. And I would also say just from the, uh, the way psychologically we approach it, I, I don't ever go into exam room thinking this is going to be a hard conversation. I, I really, I really think that um, I go into the exam room, and again, this is a, a mental choice that I make. I go into the exam room with enthusiasm that I'm going to make a new friend. I'm going to, get, I'm going to talk to this person, and I, I know nothing about them except that they care about their pet because they wouldn't be in my clinic if they don't. And honestly, that's more than I've got when it's a random stranger I meet on the street. So I think we've got something to start talking and building on. But I'm going to go in with the idea that this is great. And I'm going to believe that this person wants to do what's best for their pet. And I'm going to do my best to help them. And I honestly see myself as their, as a, as their friend and that's someone that's trying to help them. And that just helps me get into a good non-adversarial space. I never want this to be a zero-sum game where you're going to win and I'm going to lose. I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. And you don't want to do it, but you're going to do it because I convinced you. I, I think that's a bad headspace. I really do think it's about going in. And uh, if you're starting to feel challenging, and I'll tell you this, too, and I... I <laughs> you know, um, the headspace that we're in when we go into the exam room makes a massive difference. And I give, I give the technicians a hard time I just, just in a joke, and they know I do it with love. But it's, it's amazing. You'll have a, a difficult client in the room or someone who's having a bad day. And the technicians undermine the vet sometimes because they come out and they'll hand you the chart and they go, good luck. Like that. And, and, and then you just, you go, oh, no. And your anxiety goes up. And, you, and then you go in like, if you're not in the right spot, you go in and you're defensive and you're like, this person's going to be a pain or this is going to be a challenge. And you better believe the person on the other side of the exam room, they read that in your body, in your tension, in your neck, in your face. They read it like this is caveman millions of years of evolution of reading the stranger who just came into your area. And what are their intentions? And they will match you. If you come in and you're aggressive or you're defensive, they will become aggressive and defensive. And you haven't opened your mouth yet. And I would say you're already you're already two steps behind. Like this is already shaping up to be a bad, a bad visit. That's a really optimistic way to end this conversation. I think really thinking about it, that it's a conversation, not an uncomfortable conversation, not a difficult conversation, just another conversation where you're building that relationship with the pet owner. So, with that, thank you very much, Megan. Thank you, Andy, for taking time to talk with us today. I think there's some great tidbits in this episode. 